Hello everyone, it's Terry here. Just a quick note to say that we recorded this podcast a few weeks prior to the release date and before the sad passing of Nichelle Nichols. So there's no reference to that in this podcast. Please be assured that we will be offering the fullest and most heartfelt tribute and celebration of Nichelle Nichols' life in a future episode of Whom Pods Destroy. for Adonais, I'll come forth, fond wretch, and know thyself and him aright. Clasp with thy panting soul the pendulous earth, as from a center dart thy spirit's light beyond all worlds until its spacious might satiate the void circumference, then shrink even to a point within our day and night, and keep thy heart light lest it make thee sink when hope has kindled hope and lured thee to the brink. You were right. The time has passed. There is no room for gods. Forgive me, my old friends. Pods Destroy. Welcome to Whom Pods Destroy, a Star Trek discussion podcast. We're back with another deep dive into a classic episode from the original series of Star Trek based on the classics. I'm Derek, and joining me to gather laurel reeds and try not to get seduced by a 5,000 year old demigod called Graham, no, is Graham and Terry. Hello! Ho 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 ho, very funny. <laughs> And if you've not guessed already, we are discussing the second season episode, Who Mourns for Adanus? Adanus. Adanus is a good Adanus. one. Adanus. 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 I'm going to do it again. And if you've not guessed already, we are discussing the second season episode, Who Mourns for Adanus? Or Adonis. Yes. Yeah. You know, it may you, be. Yeah, it may be Adonis, as you, as Graham has said. William Shatner still calls it. Well, he does on the on the Sci-Fi Channel special. Uh, he introduced it as "Who Mourns for Adonis," which is fine. But um, yeah, other people say it differently. Adonis is the way that, that that people usually say it, and people who refer to the poem by Shelley, which the the title is taken from, that's what they usually say. I mean, Terry. This morning, funny enough, sent us around the link with a wonderful version of the Percy Shelley poem narrated by one of our faves from our generation. The, Vin- funk, the funk of 40,000 years. The funk of 40,000 <laughs> years. Price. Vincent yeah. Price. Vincent Price. Um, and that sort of tried to get us into the mood for this as well. The much-loved tale of Apollo, and it tells the story of the true nature of the fate of the Greek gods, or at least 
the fate of the Greek gods in the Star Trek universe. Plus, this episode also enjoys a special significance to the podcast. Yeah, it's our logo, isn't it? Uh, our logo comes from this uh, from this episode. Indeed. Uh, and I know when when we were when we were setting up this podcast uh, so many years ago now, mm. um, uh, we were throwing about ideas of, about what we'd use for for the imagery of it. And so many websites, uh, blogs, and websites, and and fan uh, generated content usually stick with the arrowhead, don't they? Yes. Um, which, which is a very nice design, and, mm. and it tells you exactly where you are. But we thought we'd go a bit different. We tried a few different ideas, but I think the green hand really stuck, or uh, it re- really had a grip to it, didn't it? It certainly oh. did. Yeah, I was. I found it uh, a, a gripping concept. It's uh, it's an iconic image, isn't it? It is. It is truly iconic. It says it screams TOS. The, it does. The giant green yeah. hand. Yeah. And it's also celebrated, of course, as we know, in Star Trek Beyond. It's referenced in it Star Trek Beyond. Yeah. Um, a couple of times, in fact, it's referenced by Scotty and it appears in the end credits as well, which is tremendous fun. And they do a good job of uh, remastering it in the uh, in the remastered edition of this particular episode. Yes, they do. The One of the things I like about this episode is that they the way it manages to convincingly sell you the idea that they're they're mixing mythology with science um, and trying to make magic, you know, try, trying to, to distinguish, you know, science and magic and saying, no, it's not a, it's not a giant green hand, it just looks like one. It's actually <laughs> science, but it's just being, you know, dressed up for theatre. I must admit that, that, that for me, that, that, that just emphasised the fact that they've been in space far too long <laughs> for, them, for them to actually... <laughs> For, for, for Spock to actually no, it, it's not actually a real hand. All oh, right, you checked Guys. then, did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it a hand? No. <laughs> so you're trying to say you're, you're trying to say they've got the DTs now. They've run out all the Romulan now and all the green well, stuff. It, uh, yes, there's a big, big, big wobbly hand-shaped thing outside, but it, it's it's obviously not an actual hand, is it? <laughs> is it? But, or, or is it? I actually, know. I want to pull you up there. It's a big, it's a big wobbly hand outside. Except for Spock. Spock says it's a human appendage. Well, yeah. Well, so he might, he might, he, he yes. might have seen something different. <laughs> well, you know, Spock likes his. You know, he likes to use his fancy words, doesn't he? Well, that's true. Well, yeah. I mean, but then again, I mean, how do they know a human hand from a Vulcan hand? I mean, let's say it's. I mean, are they are they well, that much a different? Good point. Yeah. Yeah, they've, yeah, all, they've already could've... jumped on that. Oh well, this is obviously a human hand, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, but that's that's that. There's a bit of that going on in this, <laughs> well, in this episode, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, nice nineteen sixties values. Aren't it's there? a real humanist episode, isn't it? In, <laughs> not, but not in not the good kind of humanism. <laughs> but I must interject. I mean, I think this is a great episode. But we, as Star Trek of this era, it's icky. Yes. It's very, very... If right from the beginning, it's icky. Yes. Right from when we're introduced to um, the archaeologist officer. Um, yeah. Carolyn Palamas. Carolyn Palamas, who is played by... Um, Leslie Parrish. Leslie Parrish. And we're introduced to her on the bridge, and we've got another case of the icky uh, Scotty. Okay. <laughs> this time be, behaving like a, a, quite a dirty old man really because he looks about at least three times her age <laughs> and there's a bit of laughter a bit of joyish boyish humor there between kirk and uh, scotty sort of like you know about about him you know sort of having eyes for for this uh, 
wholesome. Yeah, he's le- he's leching, isn't he? He's leching. I mean, he's yeah. pro- properly leching. Um, uh, uh, and uh, and yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, he he would probably argue he's courting her. You know, he's taking her for coffee. But the manner with which he looks at her, you just think weird. But the, that whole sequence is weird because the conversation between <laughs> McCoy and, and Kirk <laughs> is weird as well. <laughs> it's really tra- very traditional. Very very traditional. Yeah, because obviously, as soon as 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 soon as a a, a Starfleet officer, a female Starfleet officer, gets married she has to leave the service that's how it is that's how it is well you know they have babies and they can't possibly be expected to carry on you know so they just get kicked out of the service like okay which is one of the reasons why they can't become star uh captains Captains, how do we know they won't just go off and have babies then they'll have to be replaced for nine months yeah think about it yeah i mean come on it's just real it's just common sense graham it's just common sense (laughs) but this was a thing that happened in the, you know, in that period, it of still time. happens now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I suppose it does. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about my 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 mother-in-law. She as soon as she got married, mm. she was basically hoiked out of the bank. She worked for Barclays Bank at the time during the sixties, and said like, "Bye bye, you can't stay here." And that was obviously a prevalent thing of the time. So we are actually seeing again a window into, you know, uh, fifty years ago where mm. these things were, you know, were just matter of fact sexism. Kirk, Kirk's response, you know, I don't like to think of it as losing an officer, more as, and then he stops and goes, actually, I'm losing an officer, is moderately progressive. It though. is, yes. He's thinking, well, hang on a minute, this isn't right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I mean, he's hardly, he's hardly burning his bra. Uh, I wouldn't characterise Kirk as a feminist's ally. Nevertheless, there just seems to be some kind of recognition that what's just been said before is total bollocks. Yeah, mm. uh, it's another example of of Star Trek's. Going, moving in in the right direction, but actually failing completely, and and not through any sort of malice or anything like that. It's just it's just of its time, and it's yeah. not really trying to 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 break down walls here. It's 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 just telling a story. Yeah, it's really. a prime time TV yeah. show. It's going out to a huge like a large audience. Most of whom are going to be probably small C conservative in outlook, and certainly the networks and advertisers are not going to be mm. wanting to. Yeah, so even so, any progressive instincts they might have were well and truly battered into submission, particularly for this episode. But the yeah, the setup, the sort of mm. traditional role of 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 the women, the idea that uh, you know there here is a, a a qualified, eminently qualified female officer who's destined to marry off and have children at some point despite <laughs> spending dedicating her life to Starfleet and to and to her academic disciplines is is generally speaking quite icky but she gets treated like absolute toilet throughout the entire she episode. does yeah. she does but then but uh, she has her moments she too. does have her moments too and, moments. and of course in, in one positive aspect of it she she is certainly in control of of her of herself as far as her sexual liberation is concerned. Oh because, yeah, oh, yeah. She's all over him, isn't yeah, she? When 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 Apollo says, "Right, you're coming with me." Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yeah. Right, see ya. And like, she basically one look over at Kirk said, "Don't wait up." Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I, I I got that too. I got. I mean, maybe maybe female female listeners might have a, might take a different view, but I got that too. I mean, when he did the when he gives the whole, I'm going to turn you into a goddess. She's like, okay, yeah, and it's, and she's clear because he's a fine man, you know, he's yeah. a fine looking man, and you know, I mean, I'm, 
I'm sure back then she did. Uh, yeah, they all say that, but hey. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I'm used yeah. to that. I mean, I've heard that before, but I'll go along for the ride. I'm, it's fine. It's all good. Well, he does have an extra organ in his body. His extra well. organ, yeah. His, so, his, as, his, as, as we found out. His, uh, yeah, his, uh, it, uh, but in, in fairness, we're, we're talking about Carolyn. I think that, obviously, the way she's set up by Kirk to go back and... and, and you know, be abused, frankly, by Apollo is 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 quite difficult to uh, uh, to to conceive. But she does own that. I mean, the mm. way that she completely breaks Apollo's heart is good telly. Yes, yeah. and she and she does it really well. So she's so she's not entirely without agency. No. Um, while at the same time, yeah, I just think that just like the opinion of the characters, and you'd have to say the writers and producers in turn is is that you know. I think their line "You are wise for a woman" really sort of like sums up the place with which you know the the show is coming from. Yeah. the narrative of this is coming from. Well, to be fair, Apollo's attitudes are five thousand years old, so yes. I mean he's allowed to have those opinions. Yeah, really. and he's the bad guy. So I mean, you we know guy, we yeah. we can we can we can associate his his yeah. his misogyny with, with the fact that he's he's the bad guy. Yeah, but I don't know whether or not that's actually true. I feel that actually there's a there's 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 a general I don't know it's a, there's an overall general ickiness about that that I think is felt throughout. But I don't yeah. know, maybe I'm being unfair, and I'm certainly looking through it through a woke 2022 filter, which is also probably unfair. Well, it's what we always do. I mean, that's that's the reason why we do this stuff as well. Yeah, because we're just horrific woke yeah. people. But I mean, going back to the core story, I mean, the, the core story is about uh, an entity. A powerful entity that we've we've met powerful entities before, uh, alpha males or alpha demigods in, in this case. Oh, not demigods, actual gods. You know, uh, was he a demigod? He was an actual god. Was he was he? actual Apollo. god. Yeah, yeah okay, I put Apollo. a demigod in the script. Ah, but, uh, well, there you, you know, go. Okay. I just well, thought it scanned better than god. It, it does actually, but uh, yeah, an actual god. You know, who's basically we find out in a science fiction series because we're messing with um, you know. As always, been fantasy. I mean, magic is where the myth sort of stuff like this comes through. Um, you have actually a very constrained science fiction series, and you see, you know, science has been pushed forward here, and we're explaining the sort of like creatures of myth in a scientific way. I mean, it was very popular at the time, as Graham was brought up about the um, the uh, spacemen as gods you know, um, sort of uh, story that was going around, sort of like, which is in that alternative culture of hippiedom in the 1960s into the 70s. And the tale does a really good way of explaining about sort of the, the you know, the old gods and the reasoning for them to exist, that they are probably sort of, sort of aliens. It's about uh, what is at the time and has become quite a popular sort of trope almost, the ancient civilizations didn't become civilizations by themselves that they had a help, guiding hand yeah. a guiding hand and we can see that in 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 mayan culture uh, or in, in interpretations of mayan culture and certainly egyptian culture because we still haven't figured out how the egyptians built the pyramids we can only assume, therefore, so that they were built by aliens and not by actual <laughs> Egyptians, because how could actual Egyptians from, from that time be capable of such amazing feats of engineering? And it's a bit of a similar thing going on here, isn't it? It's like, you know, the Greeks could not have developed the Golden Age and their culture and their philosophy and the ideas there in such a short space of time without the help 
of the gods and the gods in this instance being actual aliens yeah uh, that that is and it has become a popular on the hit ball the history Ch- channel has a program called ancient aliens that's been yeah. going for 18 seasons over 200 episodes yeah yeah of Giorgio Sokolis coming on and saying, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's definitely aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and that could be for anything. It could be for Stonehenge. It could be for the pyramids. It's yeah. anything that, that they don't think that there isn't documentary evidence of, of how someone actually went ahead and did it. Yeah, it was definitely aliens that yeah. did it. Um, yeah, of course it's all bunk. Of course it's utter bunk because there's, there's no proof for it at all. Um, but hey... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, 200 no, episodes on the History Channel can't be wrong, There's can literally it? no proof of life outside of this planet. Yes. Right? We, 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 Which is a pretty good start. The best we could do is we think there might be microbes on Mars. <laughs> we think, but we haven't actually been there to find them and we have not found them yet. So we don't, we don't, even, we don't even know that. So the idea, yeah. you know, has, there's no evidence base in it whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and so the idea that it might be actually true, I mean, is a huge leap. I mean, people get a lot of entertainment from these things. Yeah. We have a mutual friend who is addicted to ancient aliens. <laughs> it's um, not me. And it's not you. Um, <laughs> is also uh, um, a, a set of theories that can be appropriated by racists. Yeah. And, and for that reason, it has to be treated, you know, I think you can have a bit of fun with it. And I think they're having fun with it here, but it's 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 you know it is nonsense and should be should be seen as yeah. nonsense. It, it's a it's a nice philosophical debate, but it shouldn't be mm. treated as something that um, that is fact. No. Um, and, but I, I think they handle it reasonably well in the episode. This theory is in its infancy at this stage. This mm. is a lot of this comes from from one book, Chariot of uh, Chariot of the Gods. Uh, by a guy called Eric von Daniken, uh, who uh, who anyone who loves a bit of crack pottery will will, will know, uh, because he is he is the all father of crackpot theories concerning aliens. He's uh, not the guy who went that got sent down for fraud. Yes, he? he is. He is the guy he who got sent down for fraud. <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> That shouldn't necessarily, you know, reflect on his work. No, no, nevertheless, no. And, and he's still got plenty of work on TV after being right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The fraud stuff wasn't anything to do with this. Right. Well, sort of was. Just, he was just, yeah, but just actual fraud. It was just yeah. actual fraud. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Where was I going? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. He 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 wrote that before this episode came out, but it was published after. Um, but there, they've there's there's things that brush upon it. Um, well, space, I was gonna... space Odyssey. I'll see Clark. That's 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 the the theory that that aliens yes. visited yeah. us thousands of years before we we became in a yeah. become civilized. Well, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if this story is actually more in line with the golden age of science fiction, where you would have had loads of pulp stories oh, yeah. going through similar sort of things. Mm. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the guy who wrote this is Gilbert, Gilbert R- Rolston. Yeah, uh, but it was cleaned up by Gene uh, L. Coon, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. I actually wanted to ask you guys if you think, because of the uh, the, the philosophy behind Star Trek, um, with Gene Roddenberry and the idea that he was an atheist. I believe he was an atheist, wasn't yes, he? Yes, he definitely yeah. was and an atheist. Yeah. You know, if there was a little bit, did that rub off onto Coon? You know, sort of the idea yes, about. Mm, I think so. Ah, okay. So that's the point I was going to make. Yeah. Although, well, he was the, the, the script editor as well, so he yeah. kept those ideas going yeah. in there. But it still creeps in occasionally, especially in the second season. There's there's actually quite a few references to to, to God, isn't there? Yeah. There's a yeah. reference to God in this one, which is yeah. 
Then that's what I wanted to point out because I found that quite wonky. Uh, that, that there's bit. a lot of wonkiness in the, okay. in the dialogue there's a, there's in this, a lot but, yeah, but yeah. that bit with Kirk going about yeah. you know uh, he was we're like, quite happy with the one god thank you very yeah. much yeah. something like that isn't we it? find the one just the sufficient one. <laughs> yeah. rather pompously yeah. which is odd because like a lot of the narrative is really about how we've outgrown you we don't need gods and all of that stuff and then he comes out and then he says well, we just find the one which is just I'm sure that's just tacked on just to please a certain audience that yeah. they, they, they just go down well in the midwest they just don't want to get phone calls yeah uh, that's the, literally that's what that there's no for me there's no cre- creative credibility whatsoever to that line it's just simply a, 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 it's, the, it's the complaints team saying do you think you could put this in yeah. So that we don't get any phone calls, or we don't get many phone calls from yeah. people complaining. It also gives questions. gives um, uh, Shatner a a, a, a rebuff, uh, a, a, a nice smart line to, yeah. to come oh, up with, as yeah, well, which, too, which helps yeah. with the tempo and sets up the the dynamic between between the characters. I mean, the structure of this story is also goes back to Space Seed for me, with the two alpha males fighting. You know, uh, well, it's a, it's a strong bad guy, isn't yeah, it? It's no, strong so, bad so, guy. so, yeah, the, but you also is, have the, the female character who yes, is also yeah, much, sort yeah. of like the, the, the you know the person who goes over to the other side. Some of those scenes, but yeah, the scenes between Apollo and Carolyn reminded me of the scenes between um, uh, Khan and Marla. Uh, yeah, a little bit, and um, and very much in the same sort of way. But you've got the historians there, uh, mm-hmm. the, those looking at the past and falling in love with with people that they've read about, or uh, mm. uh, or ideas rather than the actual people themselves. Uh, so yeah, yeah, very very similar, and really only just a few episodes apart if you look at the timeline yes. of the episode. Very true, very true. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, and and of course Apollo also is in a line of characters of super powerful. Um, god-like characters that we still see today with uh, well going through but also he's delivered mm. by a very good actor mm. in this michael forrest i believe yeah michael forrest yeah well you yeah well, you should believe yeah, cause yeah, it because it's true <laughs> he's, he's not i can't believe in you know we only, we only need one god i'm sorry <laughs> on, the, on the way in i said i got I, I i called him michael howard by mistake did you who of course was actually the prime of the, the the former uh, leader of the conservative party in the in the noughties uh, but then we got on to frankie howard <laughs> Because <laughs> Derek seemed to think that they no, took, they wanted was, they wanted to get ooh, Derek was no, me they wanted no. to get they wanted to get Frankie Howard to play this role, but but uh, now originally they wanted to get John Voigt to play the uh, the role, and then they decided because it's Togas and it's like Shakespearean, we'll try and get some English actors. That's where I put in the, the Frankie Howard film because oh. obviously up Pompeii and all that sort of stuff, um, just the usual sort of play. Pictures. Frankie Howard as 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 Apollo would have been. He'd have yes. added some different. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> should we should we talk about the costumes? Oh yes! <laughs> yes. Let's talk about. I think they're great. <laughs> I think they're great. Uh, technically, not togas. No, because uh, because uh, the Greeks didn't wear togas. No, uh, that was a Roman thing. But uh, well, sure. also t- they're yeah. not actually togas because they're quite long. Uh, and, short, and they're aren't stuck they? on with tit tape as yeah. well. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so these are shorts. Yeah. So they are. Leslie like... Parrish's dress is just sensational. <laughs> well, yes, it's it's almost dress, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it, it could be just about part. Oh, God, that yeah. It reminds it's more me of a scarf, of... really. <laughs> <laughs> just wrapped around. That was, Strategically yeah, placed. Yeah, I, I must confess, I was just thinking, wow, what a what a what a fine woman. What a fine. I think woman. that's amazing how that got past the uh, the senses, especially in this in the the scene where Apollo turns on her. Yes, that's that's a that's a very powerful scene. It's very it dark. Is, scene. It's really dark. I mean, it's really unpleasant. Yeah, uh, I mean, but very it dramatic. It, it works. Really, yeah, it completely yeah. works. Yeah. But I think this is the thing that I mean, Michael Forrest 
both both actors actually, Leslie Parrish and Michael Forrest, they 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 play this role so mm. straight and with so much sincerity, mm. which is as well because there's some fairly cheesy dialogue, frankly. Yes. To to sell the idea that I that this that this. That, that you know that we are dealing with a five thousand year old alien who was a Greek god and behaves like how we perceive or how sixties America perceives Greek gods to behave is it, it's a it's a difficult setup and a tough sell to an audience and they they nail it yeah, <laughs> I have to oh, say no, they, they really nail it they with do the performance. I, I think I mean you can look at um, Leslie Parrish's performance and you can you, you can probably think oh I'm not really that comfortable with it. And yes, she's she's got a, a touch of the Marilyn Monroe's about her in the way she she delivers a lot of the lines, but I think she does it very well. And yes, the the, the turnaround in there is very well done mm. in a forty five minute episode, which is the, the whole thing about these things. Um, we we often bring up about the original series of Star Trek because they get a lot done in the time available. And you've only got two sort of scenes or sets, I should say, because you've got the Enterprise yep. and you've got uh, mm. this. Place with um, a, a temple. Yes, yeah. well, yeah. stage nine, basically. Splice in a couple of um, library shots of, of a lake or something, yeah. and uh, yeah, then you've got you've got a whole new world, haven't you? Yeah, and, and, and so they're very economic, and they actually produce something that's you know the the, the colours brilliant, and the stage set is yeah, minimal, but it's very theatrical. And again, I mean, like, we keep we, we we repeatedly go back to this yeah. that, that that those uh, these episodes when they're at their best are are are. are narrow in in scope in terms of the you know the of the stage work yeah and allow and allow world, yeah, yeah yeah that's right you allow the 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 the, the viewer to imagine yeah. um in a way that that, that 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 you know special effects just couldn't have done at the time and in fact you know i think that that's a something of a lost art mm. um in in modern in modern storytelling yeah. for television anyway and it's it, it's nice the way that they they, they they do that with in, instead of uh, instead of apollo uh, and Carolyn going through a doorway, they just disappear. Yeah. So they've actually gone into some other, well, maybe another dimension or another part of the world yeah. or something like that. Yeah, but absolutely. It's yeah. completely separated. Yeah, it's not like let's say like, this. We only you and only only we can use this doorway. You can't use it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it adds to the mysticism and 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 just adds to the to the to the general feel of mysticism yeah. that, that that works that just about works in, in, on a very tight budget. Um, and so you you've got and you you juxtapose it with all the sciencing that's going on up on the bridge yeah and to a degree down I know there but but you've got all the sciencing going up on the bridge but then you've got this kind of like strange sort of like you know myth mythological scientific kind of world that's been created mm. you know down on the planet that Kirk and that lot are trying to to to, to figure out and work their way through and and and, and win um, and it. It, it, it that for me is where the episode really succeeds mm. um and again it's down it's down to the the principal guest guest actors just like really nailing their roles being very very serious and and in, in there in what what is actually actually probably quite a silly setup mm. good that you've got um strong guest stars Yes. They were given a lot of screen time. Yes. Given yes. their own screen time as well. Mm. Given scenes mm. where you don't see any of the regular cast in, which which is which is great. Um, but also the ensemble cast is given so mm. their chance to shine. Uhura especially. Uhura is brilliant. Yeah. 
Yeah, in this. Yeah. And um, there are some... You won't know this, but Uhuru's... When we, when, when we get through Strange New Worlds, we will we'll be able to go back through some of these episodes where Uhura features and be able to recontextualise them. Because right. it's not a spoiler. She's in Strange New Worlds. Right. Um, so, but we won't talk about it because you haven't seen it yet. And most of our listeners probably haven't seen it yet. So, so, so it, but it, but I, the, the, she has something to do. She's been given something to do. She gets mm. her hands dirty. She's fixing stuff. Yeah. She gets like positive reinforcement from Spock, proper leadership from Spock as well. Yeah. You know, and 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 she's really really good in this. It's only a short scene, mm. but it just gives you an idea of, it. and it, it does make you lament the lost potential of that character. Mm. To be honest, because she does spend most of the series sort of like answering the phone, which is a mm. shame. And Chekhov gets a lovely introduction as well, doesn't he? He does with a really silly hairpiece. Is that his real hair, or is that a hairpiece? Because it was. It, it, it's mad. About? It's magnificent, you know. Because <laughs> hey, it's it's nineteen sixty seven, Daddy. Get I with know, it. I know. Yeah. I know. I know, I know it was. Yeah, Come but, on, old man. but he is introduced in a, in a good way. You know, <laughs> yes. as, as he, he actually feels younger than he is later on. I mean, obviously, time works that way. But <laughs> <laughs> he's twenty three until he's twenty four. But he, but he, <laughs> but he looks about ten there. You know. Um, he does look about ten. Well, they, they gave the, the bowl cut was was to emulate the Beatles because the Beatles yes, were popular, and, and he was brought in on, uh, also because the monkeys were, were yeah. a thing, and they wanted to wanted to cash in on that. And uh, and yeah, as I thought his references to Minsk were particularly charming. Yeah, and, you know, in no way altered in, by by the context of the of the current times. But also as well with the the, the fact that that they. That they think that Spock's had too much of an influence on him as well, they, yeah. which is which is oh, a lovely is nice. sort of ability yeah. to play with a character that's not in the room. Which is, there is a because there there is yeah. a you, you get that through the second and third series. There's a there's a relationship. There's a, seems to be a relationship between Kirk and sorry between Spock and Chekhov a bit because Chekhov would does stand in for Spock when yeah. when when Spock has to sit in the centre seat or isn't there. So yeah, he, he gets looked into, into the blue light. He uses the blue light. He yeah. looks. He's seen what goes on in the blue. <laughs> Light. Yeah. He has that bond. He can read it. We have both seen the blue light. <laughs> we are brothers. But I, I do love the uh, the scenes actually on the Enterprise when you actually see an organisation actually works really really smoothly without the teamwork. Teamwork. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, they just just they just get on with it. And 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 Spock is doing probably, I think. In the next generation, sorry, in the original series, I think that that is where he's is one of his most professional and commanding performances. I think, yeah, when he's just you know just organising all of these people on this on this starship to you know to actually crack the nut of what's happening. And there's a, and there's a nice character moment between Kirk and Spock before he goes down, go before he goes down to the planet and mm. sort of you know. Sort of, you know, says, "Are you, you know, are you offended?" And you know, because you know, Apollo's being massively racist to yeah. to Spock. Uh, there's a bit of racism going on here, anyway. But I mean, and and he, and he, you know, and he says it's quite heartwarming. He said, "We'll we'll we'll, we'll crack it together." You up here and me down. Well, he bangs him on the and he the sort shoulder. of you know gives him a you know gives him a you know again positive positive mm. reinforcement, good leadership. Says, "We you know we'll 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 figure it out. You're up here. I'll be down there, and we'll between us we'll work it out." And they do. Yeah, and it's the model uh, story that 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 goes on into more modern Trek, doesn't it? Where you've got yeah. the away team and you've got the 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 ship based team yeah. as well, working in tandem. Yeah, figuring stuff out. Yeah, yeah, and it is. It's nice. It's good. It's, it's a very very early next gen episode, isn't it? Really? Yeah, you yeah. could do. You could say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah indeed. 
Um, what do we think about the humanism in this? That line, <laughs> that, inter- that, that speech from Kirk, where he takes Carolyn's hand and says we're, we're human, you know. How do we interpret that? Because I think at the time, what they're trying to say is, like, you know, aliens don't exist. It's just us, and we have to work together. Well, there's a lot but, of stuff. Can we can we look at, look at it through a different filter now and say you know sort of like you know? I, I, well, it depends if you're looking through a filter or whether you're projecting. Mm, uh, I might be doing that. I, I as think well. you might too. I, yeah. I think that throughout Star Star Trek, there is a naivety hmm. that allows it to, to 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 say what it wants to say, hmm. which and it doesn't go too deep into subjects, no. No, um, for, right. especially for not for 1967. Uh, I I think there are there are ways of telling the story, but I don't think, given the time and the constraints that it would have had, I don't imagine how they would have done tackled this story any differently. Mm. Now, uh, and yeah, I can I can see how I can see how people would be turned off by this episode, by a lot of the attitudes in it. But I don't think it's enough to say right, oh, no, this, this episode needs to be cancelled. It's not like a wolf in the fold type. No, no, which really has to be cancelled, yeah, or yeah. turnabout intruder. Yeah. yeah, things like that are... Those sort of episodes really don't do the canon any good. Mm. But this one, I think, it, it's fine. I, I, I don't find it offensive in that way, but then it's easy for me. You know, well, that's true, yes. Middle-aged white bloke. Yeah, yeah. I actually thought it was a bit more of a critique on, on, on religions, except for the bit about... You know, one god, well, yeah, yeah. Just, monotheism yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. that was yeah. chucked in. You know, because it seemed that it was going to go. Which a seemed certain tacked way. on, didn't it? Yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah, yeah, you know. But it was. I, mean, I think I agree. I and mean, I asked the question, but it crossed my mind when I was when I was watching it on the on the train up here, and I just thought, is there something in that? But for me, it's despite that one that one <laughs> one line. It's a humanist tale and 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 an authentic Star Trek as mm. a, as a consequence because it is this idea that we're. You know, we've grown beyond you know the need for mythical creatures, and mm. and you know we're, we're we we can stand on our own feet, and and this is a very positive humanist message. Or sheep herding, or gathering all the laurels, <laughs> or, or getting the laurels. The laurels reference is, I think, to uh, the myth of Apollo and Daphne, uh-huh. um, which which I don't know if if the writers would have would have taken from, but. Uh, it's where Apollo is uh, chasing uh, Daphne, who's a, uh, I think she's a water nymph, um, and, but she's taken a vow of chastity, and she asks her father to help her because Apollo's Apollo's, Apollo's, go, Apollo, <laughs> Apollo's got to have it, and uh, he turns her into a lo- uh, the, her father turns her into a laurel bush, uh, while while uh, in. Apollo's hands, so he's so Apollo actually, and and after that he always wears laurels. Afterwards, oh. and that's that's part of it because uh, oh, that's cool. of what he's done because yeah. it's his actions that have, have caused this. So when when you say that Apollo was chasing her around, yeah, was this with the Benny Hill music? Well, pretty much, yes, because she was a slippery. Uh, she, <laughs> she she could evade him, but but when he finally catches her, and of course Frankie Howard was the father. See, we're building our own mythology here, yeah, guys. Yeah, building just, your own yeah, mythology. Yeah, you, yeah. you came for the Star Trek. Uh, yeah, but, but stay for the. So I don't know whether um, Gilbert 
uh, Ralston uh, used that as a as something in the in in the story. Took mm. part of that story. I, I, I don't think there's anything in his back catalogue that really suggests that that he's got any higher agenda in this. Uh, he he is the guy who came up with the idea for Wild Wild West. He is indeed. Yes, yes. Ah, invented yes. the character Jim West. Um, yeah, cyberpunk before. It, sorry, uh, steampunk before. Yeah, before it became sort of. Yeah, steampunk. well, he, he invented the idea of James Bond in the Wild West. Yeah, um, and uh, and yes, ended up winning a lawsuit posthumously with uh, with Warner Brothers when the film came out in the late nineties. Oh yes, that one. Uh, yeah, because Wild Wild West was was not cyber. The original Wild Wild West wasn't not cyberpunk. S- steampunk or steampunk. Sorry, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't that no, either. It doesn't. No. Yeah, it just. It was it, just. Yeah, it was James Bond in, in in the old west. But then, then yeah, the the the, the new version with Will Smith was yeah tagged yeah. on to that. Yeah, yeah. and that, they didn't give him due respect. Well, um, you give me money. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I kind of meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the way that Hollywood works. I mean, due respect is one thing. Great, <laughs> but don't pay no bills. They gave him no money. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, and as you say, Graham, posthumously he got he got his money back. Um, yeah, he's from um, Ireland. Oh, he? he was born in Newcastle, but he grew up in in uh, Northern Ireland. So yeah, I mean, like a huge resume of work, mm. lots and lots of TV work. So another, you know, well-established writer. Um, and again, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of the maybe that a lot of the dialogue was finished by Gene Coon, um, although he doesn't share the credit. Um, he does later on in the later remastered. Well, that's interesting yeah, because yes. I just watched the remastered one, and it just says him. It doesn't say Jim. Uh, the one that I watched actually had him on there. That's weird. Mm. Yes, so, oh, that's weird. You know, mm. I, I, it might be because it was a story um, in. I think the credits that it has the story by. Uh, uh, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Written by Yeah, okay. Because Jinko's not the um, script editor anymore. Not is by, by this the point. Time, no. At this point. No, it's uh, Dorothy Fontana, isn't it? By yeah, this and point, and it? he's not on the production side of it either. He's just on the no, writing side. No, he just does. Yeah, he's yeah. just basically. So, so the re- this is part of the shift in season two, isn't it? Of, mm. um, of personnel. But it's a very. It's 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 a. It has a. It could it could be a first season episode. Yeah, I think you know because he's just got the. But but it's definitely got that setup. We talk a little bit about the music. Fred Steiner's Fred Stone original score, uh, and Fred Steiner, and I think I mean they use that and reuse that score so often. I was going to ask that because I was wondering there are certain bits. Could you reuse it? I mean, there's obviously the romantic bits. Remember the Cloudminders. Yes, they use yeah. it in there, but also a lot. Just like they just drop in that that, that little horn, uh, whatever you call it, coda, mm-hmm. um, like motif, whatever it is, the, the the pipe. Yeah, you hear that a lot in subsequent episodes. Um, and so, and Steiner took some of the stuff that was that he'd done for previous first season episodes and reorchestrated it and put it in there because the arrangement and the orchestration is different. Second season music is different to first season music. Um, you just know, you just listen to it tonally and you can tell the difference. You can identify a piece of second season music over a piece of it. Because, not just because you might, you're a geek like me and you've listened to it too much, <laughs> but also because you could just recognise the tone. The, the orchestration is just, the arrangement's just different. Um, and, but, but, so he, so he re- rearranged some of the older stuff that he did for, from the first season. And much like The Green Hand, you know, that, that, that music is quite iconic. And, uh, and it, it, again, it, it just... It's just on the right side of cheesy, just like this episode, to make it, to make it, um, and engaging. And and I, I still, you know, I think Michael Forrest's performance at the very end, his goodbye, I think is is genuinely moving mm. even now. And 
proper proper drama, and yeah. and I think the music helps with that, and I think they did an excellent job with the effects. That fade out effects that they borrowed from Charlie X is mm. is so simple, but also so dramatic. You know, perfect Star Trek, really cheap, and it works. You know, a tear at the end, mm. and a tear at the end. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it could, and it conveys a hollow victory for Kirk, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, there, when I always think that about that, would it have hurt yeah. us to have gathered a few laurel leaves? Yeah. Well, why yes. didn't you do? Yes, <laughs> because you've just spent all this time, you know. But if that's really how you felt, then why didn't you take a different approach? You know, why didn't yeah. you say to him, "Look, mate, I'm not being funny, but we've got work to do. But yeah. we'll hang with you for a little while." Yeah, yeah. because you know, we, we respect what you've done, and we want to, you know, yeah, and we want to hang with you and learn from you, and, and maybe take a nap approach. We didn't even try and no. do that. So I thought, well, that's a bit dumb. This is what happens when he doesn't have Spock by his side, doesn't it? This is what happens when he yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he just is like saying, all right, you just trashed this building. I really wish we hadn't done this. So, <laughs> how much do you wish? How badly do you wish you hadn't done this? Like, nah. Well, I didn't realise it was going to, you know, just, just melt it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's an odd way of, of destroying a building, isn't it? But it's also probably very cheap. The other thing that always occurs to me is it's still the same Star Trek trope of, of the value of human suffering. Mm. I mean, I know that he was offering that, that obviously the, it was slavery, I suppose. But yeah. what, the, what Apollo was offering them was happiness and security. Um, and something that people, you know, to this day still do not have yeah. and will never have. Um, and, and, you know, but, but Kirk is like, no. Suffering is what we, we have. We have to strive. We have to strive. And it's like, well, you do. But what about the rest of us? Actually, I wouldn't mind just like spending my day sitting around watching Star Trek all day. You know, I don't you know. Too. I don't, well, no, I have to bloody work. I, don't I? I have to bloody work. I have to like toil. I have you to know. toil in the fields. But, you know, if it, if it would have been, you know, a couple of hours work doing a bit of, like, gathering laurel leaves and I'd get my own hut and my own food yeah. and maybe some wenches to run around and play a bit of yakety sax, then, you know, I can see how people might, that might appeal. Yeah, but Kirk, Kirk, Kirk loves his uh, Protestant work ethic. He does, he? he does. Uh, yeah. I'm being a little bit silly, but the point is, is that, yes, it's this Protestant work ethic. But it's also this idea of kicking ourselves out of paradise, which is a very Roddenberry thing. Or, yeah. For all of mm-hmm. the whole thing about the Federation and Earth being, you know, free of war and poverty, you know, this idea that, you know, we stand around and do nothing, that we're idle, is not something that, that's, that's part of early early trek we are we're, we're supposed to fight there's a the biggest example of that is return of the archons mm. um where we see where we see that we said that stagnant society mm. which is then completely yeah kicked over <laughs> the village people by, yeah. Yeah. yeah no no you're no that's no 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 that you're thinking of um a, uh, a private little war yeah, yes. return return of the archons doesn't have, doesn't have the that's the one with the it's festival the yes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's festival. a funny episode maybe it we is. should do that one next. i think that that's that's a good one to do next we haven't time. done the return of the archons we have no we haven't we've, we've done haven't. a private no. little war but yeah. we haven't oh, right. done the archons i'm convinced we've actually done we've referred to the village no. before <laughs> no yes 
<laughs> oh my god yes because they were in a private little war which is oh, what we've right, done yes. <laughs> they're not in Return of the Archives which you have oh, well, we, we haven't done that we've done <laughs> In I'm going to time loop. I'm running you in, guys. Right. Okay. I, one last thing I was ask ask you about this story is: Did you actually read the novelizations in uh, Star Trek Seven, the James Blish, um, you know, adaptations? Ooh. Now, does now no, I haven't, I think, but no. But does I think this I know have, what you're talking does about? Does this have the bit that was cut from the yes. from the final episode? Yes, it does. And the it? bit that's been re- returned to in subsequent um, fiction. Side canon. There's been some side canon done on this. Carolyn Palamas and the baby, indeed. Yes. yes. Son of Apollo! Or daughter of Apollo. I don't so, know. So, yeah, I mean, yes. so, yeah, we've actually had. Um, I mean, James Bliss, with his. Um, Adaptations. He usually worked from the script. He worked from the yeah. original, an earlier draft of the script. So originally, they would have had her pregnant. Yes. Yeah. I think it you was know. the censors that, that 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 snipped it. Did they? Did they? Did they actually shoot that scene? I don't know. I don't know if it was so, it, it because I there. think the censors got, got to it before they got to film. Because let's face it, you you wouldn't have bothered filming scenes without. No, if you if knew the, that they the were going to get, gonna, yeah. gonna come and come. Mm-hmm. No, in. but I guess my, yeah. my thing was whether or not the, it had been seen afterwards. God, you no chance. You're not. You're, not yeah. you're cutting that out. But we'd we'd have seen it, yeah. wouldn't we? If it. But had I, been I think filmed. that's probably why the um, the storm scene remains in there uh, because you know you can't pick that up. What what's actually happening there on the script alone, and then no. so yeah. No, I mean, the storm scene is a pretty dark metaphor, isn't it? I mean, yeah, we yeah, know, yeah. we're well, said out her, loud, but we know what's happening there. Her end reaction deeply, as well. And the yeah, way she the looked, way she's, and yeah. the mark it's and really chilling, yeah. actually. It's yeah. deeply unpleasant um, mm-hmm. uh, and very effective dramatically. But again, I mean, perhaps other people were in a position to decide whether or not it's, it's, it's justified. Um, but it certainly had its effect and it still remains a very troubling and, and, mm. and dramatic, dramatic scene to this day. Well, if they had actually left the baby, you know, the, the the pregnancy scene in the end, it mm. would have made it even more, yeah. you know, impactful. That yes, but and I think that they probably felt that that was just yeah. a, 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 a bit a, a bridge too far. Mm. Okay. I guess, but, but mm. 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 now I've just brought us a bit, bit down. Apart from that, the actual episode itself is actually a stonking Star Trek episode. Is it, guys? It's it's certainly it's certainly one of the most debatable ones. It's it certainly um, makes you think a bit more about about um, science fiction and uh, as as a way of telling stories and about looking at our own philosophies. Um, and yes, a way of of looking at religion, which I think would, was always going to be problematic for for, for Star Trek to do. Uh, yeah, I think you're right, Terry, about the whole thing about society and about about values in society. Obviously, um, Star Trek is meant to be some is set in some kind of utopian society, but of course, you, what if you've got everything? Then the the fear is that you're going to degenerate and you can't start going backwards. And I suppose that's what what Kirk's thing is to say: No, mm-hmm. no, no, we, we've got everything, but yeah, we're moving forward and everything like that. Yeah, we're yeah. not just sitting around. Just, yes, there's there's str- yeah. st- struggle. There's necessary suffering is yeah. still is what Star Trek is. The, the Star Trek, the, the Star Trek universe, the Federation or Earth, you know, the future, the utopian has dispensed with unnecessary suffering. Mm. But not that doesn't mean people shouldn't toil and suffer and 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 put themselves in hazardous situations in order to grow. Uh, and there's, there's some value in that. 
message. Mm. They're genuinely, and, and 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 they return to it frequently in in those early episodes of TOS. And 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 as a, I mean, I'm, I I think it's one that's it's it's something that's worth questioning um, and critiquing. But it's definitely not not without value. It, it, Who wants Radonais is one of my what was for a long time one of my favourite episodes. I really enjoyed it and I watched it many many times. I couldn't really tell you why. I just think that I just think it's a really good story. I think it's, got it's a, a really interesting it? idea. It goes on. It's got a good. It's well paced. It's good trek. And it's good. good and it's trek. and it uses the cast really well. Yeah, and, and I it, think that's that, that that's why it stands up so well. And it makes you think. I think the the the, the role that Carolyn Palamas plays in 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 the story. It also, as we've got older and more mature and, and perhaps a little bit more aware of of of, of things, that 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 it makes that that makes you think as well. Um, and 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 it's an engaging episode. And I I I would certainly say this is an episode that you would show to a to a Trek newbie. To show them the first TOS, it's a good example of good Trek. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it'd be interesting to see if there are other people who have different perspectives yeah. on that. And on that note, I think it's probably time for us to um, call this podcast to a close. Cool. If that's okay, guys. Um, it's a lovely, beautiful, sunny day outside, and we're going to be going off to the football, as we usually do after our podcast. Um, and so I must thank anyone who is listening to this podcast (laughs) (laughs) Um, and please come back and uh, join us again on our next discussion podcast and if you can we're going to do the um Return of the Archons. Yeah, let's next. do Return of the Archons. Have we yeah. not done Return of the Archons before? No, 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 no we we've haven't. Done, That's a time loop. We've done a private little war, yeah. but we've not done... Mm.